0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince.
0: This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Comedians Comedian podcast, in which I, stand-up comedian Stuart Goldsmith, interview your comedy heroes and ask them in depth how they do what they do and how they cope with being a human person in the world. You can find out more about the show at comedianscomedian.com, where you can also download a compilation of some of the most optimistic bits of the show, my own free stand-up comedy album, and you can also get hold of a list of the top ten episodes as voted for by you, the listener. Uh, All of that and more, including access to the Comedians Comedian Facebook group, where over 5,000 kindred spirits all congregate regularly and uh, discuss the minutiae of the show and uh, other interesting things about comedy and often uh, offer each other emergency last minute uh, face value tickets for comedy shows they can no longer see (laughs) that's becoming a a roaring sideline where no money changes hands which is rather sweet and if you'd like to find out all about that go to comedianscomedian.com there's no advertising on this show so you'll indulge me this brief minute at the start uh, just to go over what actually is going on here This is the first episode I have ever re-released, and I'm doing so for two reasons, um... One, to celebrate Mr. Brian Regan's uh, uh, upcoming... Well, by the time you hear this, probably available. Who knows with the vagaries of Netflix exactly when they release things. Uh, but Brian Regan's new special, uh, Nunchucks and Flamethrowers, is coming out. And not only is uh, is his new special coming out, but it is available on UK Netflix. So the majority, I think, the just about the majority of uh, listeners to this show are based in the UK. This is the first chance you will have to officially uh, stream Mr. Brian Regan, who is as you will hear in this interview one of the nicest if not the nicest guy in comedy that I have ever encountered he is so so funny and he's someone I should say as well it's great that he's uh, on Netflix being a visual medium because you can't just listen to Brian Regan you have to watch him he is one of the most expressive performers he can just completely captivate you and reduce you to tears with just the simplest little mime I mean I would want to mention someone like um, you know Rowan Atkinson's incredible rubber-faced quality it's not even like that it's a different thing again whereby he's just able to embody his act-outs for his stand-up material in such a way that it just lifts it ...into another realm completely. So that's one reason, uh, is celebrating the Netflix special, for which I'm not being uh, paid any money, incidentally. This is not a, a paid advertisement. But the other reason is uh, the lovely man who set up uh, my uh, interview with Brian asked me if I wouldn't mind re-releasing it. And I thought, why not? We'll have a little practice go. Perhaps if you feel short that there's an episode you may have heard before, you can let me know. But I'm not going to tell you the, <laughs> the, uh, the Twitter handle or the email address in the same breath as inviting uh, criticism. So um so listen I'm more than happy to re-release this episode. Uh, Brian is an absolute hero. He's genuinely funny and it was an absolute joy to speak with him. So this without further ado is Mr. Brian Regan again. <laughs> I'm very excited. This is the shortest podcast I've ever done, and it feels more exclusive because you're about to go on stage here in Montreal, and we're grabbing you for an exciting 30 minutes before, just before you walk out there.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you wanting to chat with me, Stu.
0: You're, you're so welcome. Tell me about your act-outs. So we, the point I was making is we're going to go straight in hard, mm-hmm. with the raw stuff... You are, I think, the king, the absolute master of a physical act-out of a bit. You make an observation, and then you perform it. You act it out to just an incredible extent.
2: Ah, well, I appreciate that. I um, I took acting in college. I was not a good student at all, but one of the things I remember learning in acting class was you're supposed to fill your stage you know, as an actor, they, they, they weren't teaching anything about stand-up comedy, but as an actor, they said you're supposed to use, literally use the stage. So that's the, the one thing I learned in college was to try to utilize what you have up there. The stages are pretty wide and I've always been intrigued with how little of these stages many comedians use.
0: Yes. So I like to kind of u- use it. But you're, I mean, if we think of a moment like in, uh, in I Walked on the Moon, your special mm-hmm. I Walked on the Moon, um, when you are, one of the first ones you do is that you are, you're being someone looking for a parking space. And you're moving the steering wheel through your hands and <laughs> looking around to find yourself. And I was crying laughing. Now, that's not about simply using the space of a stage. True, true. What else is going on there?
2: Well, I want... I, I, you know, I mean I think jokes they they say jokes are pictures. You know, I I've heard that expression that a, a joke is really a picture and even a a, a word joke, you know, two guys walking to a bar, when somebody's hearing that, they're picturing something in their head. So, um I don't trust my words. So <laughs> <laughs> My words aren't enough, so I have to I have to hit people over in the head with a mallet to go, if you can't create the pictures, I'll create them for you. So, I mean and in, in addition to that, or concurrent with that, um a lot of my bits are really vignettes. I didn't even realize that until one day I sat down to try to do some work. <laughs> I was like, I've heard about people doing work. I should try this work thing. So I wanted to script out my act. And uh so as I'm writing it out... It dawned on me that most of my jokes are plays. They're, they're, they're little plays. They're little vignettes. It's me and another character, or it's me and an inanimate object. It's me and the eye doctor. It's me and a refrigerator. It's me and a microwave oven. It's me and a flight attendant. It's always a little scene. Not always, but oftentimes. And the only way that'll work is if I play it out. You know, if I just say the words, then it's not enough.
0: And you, I mean, you must have seen a lot of other stand-up comedians over the course of your career who don't do anything like that kind of, who don't give anything like that attention to detail that you give. So what's your, why do you think you in particular have ended up doing such, such expansive act-outs?
2: I i don't know. I mean, i I don't know that there was ever... Like a super conscious decision to be physical on stage. It was just more of an evolving kind of thing. Um, in fact, years ago, one of the, one of the first times I realized that I actually moved around on stage was one of the first TV things I ever did. It was this cable show in New Jersey and they were filming a bunch of comedians. And, um, you know, it was a big deal for me. I'd never really been on TV before. I think it was called Rascals Live. Like done at Rascals Comedy Club in New Jersey. So I'm one of like five comedians on the show. So I finish my set and I I go back, you know, to where the camera is. And at a break, the cameraman takes me aside and says, hey. He goes, I got to talk to you, buddy. You know, I can't do a Jersey accent. And I say, what's up? He goes, you got a real problem, man. And I'm like, I do? He goes, yeah. He goes, you were walking around All over the stage, back and forth, and it was a real pain having to move the camera back and forth to capture what you were doing. He goes, you got to learn how to stand there like everybody else. Oh, my God. Okay. Great advice. (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't, like, write that down and go, you know, that that New Jersey cameraman is right. Uh, (laughs) So I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I should make New Jersey
0: cameramen work. Ha. And we and something I said to you when we met in the small hours of this morning was one of one of the most fun things to watch particularly and I walked on the moon you're at a very small stage you're working on it mm-hmm. as an improv and you in between bits you're you're almost like dancing like a boxer <laughs> you know what I mean you do this thing with your shoulders where you're and I'm recreating it now which is pointless for podcasting purposes <laughs> but um you'll you'll do a bit and then like almost like in the moment of it's like you've landed a blow on the audience and then you kind of take a couple of paces back into the side and you're kind of loosening your shoulders and then you you start another bit
2: it's yeah it's just, there's a reset uh, associated with it um because i want the overall thing to be a real person on stage you know i i think if uh if it's if it's just clown-like and just physical and just silly then it's not rooted in reality you know i i, I want the audience to see a real person that they can relate to that they can say oh I know a person like this. There's a person like this in my family. I work with a person like this. I can relate to, or I'm like this person. So I want there to be, to be a reality to it. Um, and then when I'm talking about real things, I'm occasionally going to go off on an exaggerated tangent or some goofy feeling about it. And that's when I, Get silly and goofy and physical, but when that bit is over, I want to quickly get back to hey, this is the real me. It's still a real person talking.
0: Okay, and is that something you've had to learn along the way, or is that a principle that you had in your mind before you started?
2: Uh, I don't. Again, some of these, I guess, are conscious decisions, and some are not. That I think is probably just more instinctive. That um, <laughs> maybe it's like a. I don't know. I think every performer gets on stage because they want to be liked you know what I mean and I want that audience to know who I really am I want them to like the real me I don't you know, people just laughing to me is empty unless it's associated with you know a, a connection to a real thing a real person so I want them to see the real guy that is thinking these thoughts so that's why I come back to, hey man, it's me again.
0: So when you were when you were taking this piece of paper and writing out your your act or typing out your act was that for the first time, mm-hmm. you'd previously prior to that you'd always just got up and said funny stuff. And well, I mean, I, you know,
2: I'd written things down and that sort of thing, but I hadn't like, you know, kicked myself to the degree where it's like, wow, this is a craft and this is a job, and I'm really going to work at it. You know. Um so it isn't like I had never written anything down, but there was that time when I decided I want to apply do this as best as I can. I want, th- if this is what I do, I want to do it as best as I can. And so that's what led to me, all right, I'm going to get on the computer. I'm going to script things out. I'm going to work on words. I'm going to do all that,
0: you know. And, and in that scripting process, is it, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, is it possible to write an act out? Or can you only ever write the observation and then say the observation, and then just play with it on stage?
2: <laughs> you know, I use VIS for visual. I use SFX for sound effect when I write these things. And I often wonder, like, when if somebody were to read this without knowing what I do, could they possibly understand <laughs> the humor in it? Um, sometimes when you do a TV taping, they require the material ahead of time. You know, that happened on... The Letterman shows, it happens when I do Fallon. So I, I write it out. And, you know, I have what I say. And then I put visual, you know, drinking coffee or whatever, SFX, you know, Local spit blood. noise or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it can't possibly
2: be as good in a reading form than it is when you're doing it on sure. stage.
0: But I, I mean, in the, in the planning of it, when you're working on a new bit, if you're yes. going, okay, I've got my new coffee bit. So you're imagining, okay, there's an observation like a written you write the words about coffee, there's the observation about some way that people treat coffee. Do you then just kind of put act out? Like I'll I'll come up with something on stage to no, I'm very, show what I mean.
2: I'm very anal. I am very <laughs> I'm very meticulous and I'm very I wish there was another I can't word. It, I loss. wish there was another word for anal yeah, that was more good? complimentary in <laughs> nature. You know? But um,
0: Meticulous is a, meticulous. I get you're coming
2: from. When I write visual, I pre in my mind I'm thinking if somebody 300 years from now is reading this, I want as best for them to understand what the visual
0: is. So you're almost doing notation. As yes, to exactly I will write what out what
2: the visual is. You know, uh, you know, mime opening microwave door. That's SFX. astonishing. Brilliant. SFX uh, screech noise associated with that. You know, I, I write it out.
0: And when you when if you then take a newer bit on stage with those things written out, and you kind of you've learnt okay, I'm going to open the door and I'm going to do that. Are you then writing on stage as well when you you open the door, but you do it in a particular way that gets a laugh, and so you go, oh, actually, I maybe if I move my hand, maybe if I open the door with more, you know, vim. Well, actually, I
2: I write it after I've done it a few times and where I feel like it's worthy of writing out so you're keeping a note of it rather than creating it yeah the creation process is just me in my head and me doing it on stage and then when I feel like oh this is a bit then I will write the visual and the sfx and all of that okay i don't write that it's not that doesn't come i don't put the cart before the horse in that sure. regard it isn't uh, that would I, I don't even know if i could do that to write that and then go try to do it yes okay i have to do it first and then write it afterwards and
0: do you spot yourself doing this doing familiar characters like there's a particular i think i read in, in a review of one of your one of your shows that there was something like a, the phrase was a panicked lack of ideas, <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought was beautiful. I'm, like, I can't, I'm afraid I can't credit wherever I got that from online. But that—that uh, that is I don't, absolutely. I don't know if I've come across it. That's, that's a flavour that you absolutely do. That look in your eyes, and it's a very clowny sort of thing <laughs> to say. I don't know if you've studied kind of clowns specifically, but something people say in a lot of clowning, like contemporary clowning, is that we're seeing a man suffer. And he's like, do less. They always used to say to me when I did a clown course, do less, suffer more. Do you know what I mean? And we see it in the eyes. We see, oh, God, I've screwed this up. So we see your panicked lack of ideas. Does that resonate with you? That's yeah. One the-
2: no, I don't, I'm not familiar with that quote, uh, but it's funny to me, and there's truth to that. And um, I, I also think comedy, a lot of it has to do with point of view, you know, and all different points of view are valid, you know. But my point of view is that I wish no one no harm. <laughs> And I think that's important to the comedy is that I'm not, I'm not purposely trying to make someone feel uncomfortable or, you know, like the bit of, hey, when's the baby due? You know, uh, I'm, I'm the one feeling bad that I'm saying that to a woman that's overweight. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and so that, that uncomfortable moment is because this is a good guy, a nice guy that means yes. no harm, that's inadvertently causing harm. That to me is, that's more truthful to me than somebody that might just have a joke about slamming somebody that's overweight or, 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 you know what I mean? That, that's, that, that's a, a harmful, hurtful kind of comedy. And I'm not saying that that isn't also valid. I like, I love all kinds of comedy, but that's not my
0: point of view. Is it to do with empathy? Because I, you're clearly one of the things that's always said about you is that you're the nicest guy in comedy. And so far that, you know, my experience of you reflects that you're, you know, you're a really nice guy. Thank you. And I wonder whether, you that whether they're something in the same part of yourself when you're being nice is because you have empathy and you want people to feel good and some of the joy of watching again to go back to the, the walks on the moon the guy who has been an astronaut eating chips whilst listening to some blowhard. The the detail, the joy in the detail of that is in watching someone knowing perfectly well that they're about to shut this guy down. But it's got real empathy. It's got such humanity because this this guy that we're we're associating with, you in that story, he's not going to, hey, guys, I walked on the moon. He's just... (laughs) Well, I mean, this you know, a truthful I' truthful thing, and I'm looking thing. forward to sharing it and with you. So, and so we, I think we, as the viewer, kind of get we we love you because we get that you love your characters. Yeah, oh, no, I appreciate that. And that's very kind.
2: And, and I also think that people relate to the reality of that. I mean, everybody's been in a situation where you're at a dinner party with somebody that won't shut up about themselves, you know, and it's like it's fun to get back. And I think. Uh, laughter is a way of getting back. Uh, an audience member that watches that, just by laughing, they feel good about that going... I don't maybe I'm reading too much into this. No,
0: I don't think you are at all. This is the, You know what I said about being pretentious? Yeah. This is the place. <laughs> this <laughs> this is, a, is the place. This
2: is the pretentious part. I would like to think that these moments that make us feel uncomfortable, when we realize other people have these same moments and we're all ultimately good people... We feel good as a team. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, we're either going to win as a team or we're going to lose as a team. And even if we have moments where we lose, we're still a team and we we win in the long run.
0: What is it, do you think, that makes you, you, Brian, so keen that everyone be happy, that the team succeeds? Like, there's a lot of comedians, you see a lot of comedians out there who want the... They want to enjoy the sensual effect of a room full of people laughing and applauding them. You know, I, I've seen a, a sort of ten comedians last night at the Variety 10 to Watch thing. All brilliant comedians, very different degrees of generosity. Hmm. What What is it? Do you think in in you as a man that that means you are preoccupied most with making sure everyone the team's okay?
2: I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone's childhood's, childhood is going to affect their adult life. So, you know, I grew up in a big family with eight kids and, you know, you're in the middle of the pack. And I don't know. Like in my family, I just, I just wanted everybody to be happy. When I was in school, I wanted everybody to be be happy. I've always been, this is going to (laughs) sound, You warned me of.
0: <laughs> I did warn you. You warned me of Normally this. we'd have had half an hour to get to this point, but we're on a time limit, so I got in hard.
2: I feel so <laughs> awkward when there's somebody out there that just listened to my joke about donut sprinkles and they're going, how does he get this kind of depth? How does he possibly think there's this kind of depth in a donut sprinkle joke? But, um, I, I just like that. I'm not comfortable when anybody's uncomfortable. If I'm at a party, And there are 40 people in the room, and some people come in that you can tell just got there, and they're looking around, and they feel like they don't fit in. I'm not comfortable. (laughs) I want to go over there, especially if I'm the host. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. Boom, boom, boom. Who are you? Introduce them to some people. I'm not comfortable until everybody's comfortable. So maybe whatever that sickness is helps with my comedy, because I want everybody to be in on it.
0: I I wonder if I feel something very similar. I'm a middle child and I felt, I don't want to make guesses about your home life, so it sounds fine, but um, I always felt that I, it was somehow my responsibility to make sure everyone was getting on because when, when there was awkwardness at the dinner table, it would always be me that jumped in and, Cracked a joke
2: mm-hmm. Like
0: somehow I'm taking this on me mm-hmm. And I wonder what that is Because I really That really resonates with me That sense of like I, I've got to I've got to make sure Everyone's okay Or I'm letting the side down And a lot of people Don't feel like that Do they? A lot of people go Oh look that guy's Standing over the wall He's not really interested In the conversation <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I I, I want to go over and I want to throw a life preserver.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I his...
2: stand on the deck with a, a bunch of life preservers and throw them to anyone who needs them. I, yeah. don't, know, I don't know why. I, when I was a little I, kid, when I was a little kid, there was our teacher one day said everyone needs to bring a number two pencil for this big test. This is the test, you know, to get into the high school. If you don't have a number two pencil, it has to be number two. You're not going to be able to take the test, and it could affect your future. So
0: you brought 100 number two
2: pencils. (laughs) Well, everyone in my class, I felt, was like wise enough to realize you need to bring a number two pencil. But I look over at this guy next to me, (laughs) Danny Avril, who I hope he's out there listening. Real funny guy, real nice guy. And I looked over at him, and I thought, he is not going to bring a number two (laughs) pencil tomorrow. I know it. I know it. So when I, I went home and I put two number two pencils in my God in my bag and I went back to school the next day. And I, and I also, you know, I, I had that sense of show business. I don't want to tell them at the start of school. I wanted the moment. You
0: want to see I the moment? Wanted the mo-
2: I wanted the moment. And the teacher said, OK, remember, I told you need to bring number two pencils. And I just looked over at him and he had this look in his eyes like, well, there goes his future. And she starts handing out the, the tests and uh, I pull out my number two pencil and I look over at him again and he's just panicked and he's sweating. And I went, Danny, and I pulled out the number two pencil. I said, I brought one for you. And the look that he gave me was so <laughs> I mean, I still remember it. I still, I still remember that look of appreciation, and um, it's just interesting to me how easy it is to make somebody feel good. It took a pencil, you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm patting myself on the back too much, but I I think that is part of my comedy too. It's just you know, I, I just want everybody to have a good time. Oh. Edit, edit this whole last story up because it <laughs> sounds very self-serving.
0: No, absolutely
2: not. We'll, we'll change the ending So I took this pencil out <laughs> and I jammed it in his face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you, I would say, oh, do you spot familiar, uh, do you spot familiar characters that you're doing, like the, pan, the panicked guy or the, you know, different kind of flavors, different emotions that you do? Would you try and make sure that in a, in a show, in a tour show, there's a, a spread of emotions? Uh, like in the same way you wouldn't talk about one subject. Right. You want to vary them.
2: It, it, it seems to me like usually if somebody starts to get defined a certain way a comedian in particular they might think oh i'm on to something i'm going to write more like that i've always done the opposite <laughs> as soon as i feel like i'm being defined a certain way i like i think okay i'm doing too much of that and i write away from that so i used to have all you know a lot of the dumb feeling dumb fantasy jokes which are truthful because i feel like that a lot but i also get angry about things and have anger fantasies. So as soon as I felt like I was reading too many of those kinds of descriptions, like Brian's the guy who always feels dumb, then I would go, all right, well, they need to see another part of me. So I have a lot more anger fantasies in my, in my show now, you know, where I'm acting out about things that bother me about people. And um, so I want them to see a more balanced human being.
0: That's a great answer. It ended abruptly, so I'm going to look at my next question. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Can you just want... And then I took a number two pencil out and I jammed everybody in the face. When we're... Let's look at some of the observations you make. One of my favorite observations, uh, it was on um, the epitome of hyperbole which was that on a book, they keep reminding you of the title of the book on every page, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. That's like, you know <laughs> what I mean? You, you've got this incredible double skill set of just br- really good observations and brilliant act out. <laughs> oh, so thanks. let's talk about the observations. When you notice a thing like that, are you do you walk around trying to notice stuff or are you just blithely living your life and then something like occur to you make a note of it? Which way round does it go? I... I- did you, did you like take the idea of books and go right and do something with no, books?
2: No, To me, it's um, I've tried that, and I admire people who are good at actively trying to find comedy. Um, I, I found that that isn't really how it works for me. For me, I just kind of do what I would normally be doing, and then every once in a while, I'll see something. I, you know, what's weird, like the book thing. I probably l- looked at, <laughs> you know, the title on the top of a book. Hundreds of times before the 101st time you go, well, why is that there? I don't know what in a brain makes somebody click it over to joke level. Because it's like, well, I noticed it a 100 times before and it wasn't funny to me. And then at 101 time, I'm like, wait a second, that's weird. You know what I mean? That's what comedians do. We We occasionally notice things, the humor in something that somebody else doesn't see. You know, another weird analogy I use is those 3D hologram posters. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's looking at it and you go, there's a dinosaur in there. And it's like, I don't I don't see the dinosaur. No, you got to look at it. You got to relax your eyes. And then after a while you go, oh, I see the dinosaur. I think that's humor is like that. You know, comedians have a way of occasionally seeing the dinosaur.
0: So do you have any strategies if you've got like a, do you, are you, within your working life, are there situations in which a deadline comes up and you've got to come up with some new stuff? So that you're like so if you're under pressure to produce stuff, or is your kind of creativity now based around the tour rolls and you add new stuff to it whenever you want
2: yeah i mean i've never had that that pressure you know i mean uh if i'm doing a letterman or a Fallon or something like that i um you know i've already I already have stuff in the you know in the mix that i can I can use and a I would never do a special or an hour unless I knew I was ready for that. So I never feel like, oh my gosh, I need an hour. and I only have thirty five. I wait till I feel I have an hour before I go.
0: Hey, let's do a special. Or something sounds like bliss. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of somebody who's in the UK model, turning over an hour a year. You know, mm. that's a, it's a very different way of doing stuff. But I, but I'm fortunate
2: in that um, I just you know I mean I did I, I like that I like. Coming up with stuff. It's fun for me. I love I love throwing new things out there. And so just gradually, just because I, I like it so much, you gradually turn the show over.
0: What have you most recently cut and why? It's
2: funny you ask it that way because it's always interesting to me that I'm very conscious of the new stuff I'm adding, but I'm much less conscious of the stuff I'm dropping because I don't feel like I ever draw a line through it and say, okay, that's it for that. It just falls away. It just falls by the wayside. You know what I mean? Um,
0: Because something else is engaging you. The
2: newer things keep coming in and newer things keep coming in. And those are the things I'm most excited about saying the, the newer, the more fun for me. And so things just gradually fall by the wayside. But I do have the added way of doing it. When I do a special, when I record an hour of something, not just a special, a CD or something like that, Then I feel like that's kind of that line in the sand moment. Okay. That comedy now exists. Um, and I start moving away from it. You know, um, it's hard to do it on a dime. That very next show can't be completely virgin snow, but, um, I know that comedy is now out there. It's about as baked as it can be. And now it's time to start replenishing.
0: And do you have, are there, are there elements of a comedian's toolkit that you wish you were better at? Sure, yeah, so what sort of things do you because you obviously have you your skill set is phenomenal well, no, I appreciate
2: that, but you know i, I there's so many you know I look at <laughs> different people have different things that are just beautiful i i George Wallace has a confidence about him that i just <laughs> i 'm so envious of you know he walks on stage and he just takes over, and I think that's beautiful um. If I'm walking out in front of a room people a room of people who don't know who I am, I don't have that George Wallace confidence. And then you have people that are very daring in a political sense, you know, they'll they'll take positions on things that immediately cut your audience in half. Um and and I think that's admirable. Um i i i'm not as good of a joke writer you know i can't sit down on a piece of paper and write a joke i just i don't know how to do that and the the fact that some people can do that amazes me you know like been in situations hey we need a joke about socks it's like i I, (laughs) i can't do that
0: i can't do that
2: i can't write a joke about socks (laughs) You you can't give me an assignment like that. I would just stare. I would sit at a blank piece of paper for three months and go, I haven't thought of one funny thing about socks. But if I were happened to be like rolling up socks on my own and I thought of something, well, then that's another story. But anyway, so, yeah, there are skills out there that other comedians have that are wonderful that I don't have. Are you happy? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am so fortunate Well, just career-wise, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do this. I never take it for granted. Every time before a show, one of my favorite moments is standing backstage and peeking out through the curtain and seeing people out there. And you go, how did I get this fortunate that there's these people sitting in these seats? They have a ticket that has my name on it. (laughs) Why are they here? You know, like I... And the fact that... They're going to allow me to come out and just say some goofy things that I think of and hopefully have a good time. is, is
0: pretty damn cool. Are there any difficult elements? Are there any, like we think of stand-ups, most of, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say you answered, yes, I'm happy, faster than anyone else I think I've spoken <laughs> to in the life of this show. I always try and ask people that at some point, Uh-oh. sneak it in. And that's great to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased they're unhappy, but I'm pleased you're happy. But are there any kind of long night of the soul elements or have there been in your career? Have there been moments when you've thought this isn't working? Yes. Oh, many, many.
2: Um, some, some, well, you, you get to where you get more and more consistent. You know what I mean? So you're going to have fewer and fewer of them, but I don't think you can ever just eliminate them altogether. Your bad moments. Um, I still have them, you know, uh, might do a corporate show here or there where that audience they don't have a clue who I am, you know? And uh they'll bring me out as a special guest. I'm like, please, please don't bring me out as a special guest. The only the only surprise is gonna be that they have no clue who I am even when I get on stage, you know what I mean? Um and sometimes you you comedy is a weird subjective thing if people don't if you don't
0: make the connection this stuff doesn't work your stuff sometimes doesn't work of course of
2: course yeah and especially when it is when it can be sillier and goofier with act outs it looks even worse you know what i mean
0: yeah because you've got to commit to the act out. i'm committing yeah (laughs)
2: i'm i'm you know filling up this stage with nothing but silence (laughs) I'm walking Boy this guy Wants to bomb All over the place He's bombing Over there He's bombing Over there He's making All kinds of
0: Visuals and SFX's But we don't Know what he's Talking about <laughs> Do you know Douglas Adams The writer Douglas, He wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the English sci-fi Comedy writer I, I don't I don't He, he said a thing I don't
2: a, know Anybody that I Should know
0: Yeah <laughs> This is a, about The concept of uh, Stand-up comedy He wasn't a stand-up He was a brilliant Writer but he, um, he said that he, he never got into stand-up comedy because once he was in a comedy club and he saw someone going doing a bit about the black box flight recorders, mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, why, they're indestructible. Why do not they make the whole plane out of them? And he said, I just got really frustrated. He was like, well, obviously they can't because it'd be too heavy. It wouldn't be able to take <laughs> off. And at that point, I became disillusioned with stand-up comedy. <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I mentioned it, and to be honest, I love Douglas Adams. It's not my favorite thing he's ever said. That's but I, I wonder um, whether you need to take the position of a stupid person when actually you know better in your act when you're when you're kind of failing to understand how something works you're needing to take a position that's contrary to what you the person actually feel about it
2: Uh, that's interesting because I don't know how it comes across to the audience all the time but you know when I talked before about coming back to the real person you know, I I want the real person, the real me between the jokes so they realize, oh, maybe he's not quite as dumb as he just showed us. You know what I mean? So a lot of times I want these things to come off as fantasies where I'm exaggerating the feeling of dumbness or the anger fantasies. I'm exaggerating things that I had hoped I had done or wished I had done. But the reality is we don't act like that. We feel like that. So... The the humor is in the feeling and not in the reality sometimes. I mean the, the 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 base of it is real, but the we don't actually do sometimes the things that we feel like in our in our minds.
0: That's a great answer. Thank you. My f- Thank you. My final question, I ask this of everyone. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone?
2: Um <laughs> my uh ex-wife just made me laugh recently because I always say, watch my elbows because I'm always concerned that somebody's is going to bang. If I'm holding a (laughs) cup of coffee, I'm always reminding my kids, watch my elbows. Don't hit my elbows. And we joked for years that that should be on my tombstone (laughs) and have (laughs) like little two tiny tombstone elbow pieces coming up. and she said which was quite nice she said that way you could be making people laugh hundreds of years from now they would walk up and see watch my elbows on my tombstone and people would laugh they wouldn't even know what the what it meant you know so watch my elbows that's my answer
0: thanks thanks, thanks so thank much. you Stu. Man, had a good I love time it. man So that was Brian. Absolute pleasure to spend time with him and uh, very happy to direct you towards his uh, his first UK release via Netflix, Nunchucks and Flamethrowers. It's called. Uh, I'm halfway through a little special advanced copy, uh, such as uh, the privilege of being in this industry. And um, uh, I I am happy to report it is as brilliant as I was expecting. So looking forward to the rest of that. Now, um, what else to say? Just a couple of little things. A couple of, I mean, one of the little things is a very exciting new tour that I'm embarking on. And I'm going to give you a list of all the places it's going to because it is now officially on sale. If you would like to see me uh, starting in spring and moving into early summer next year and you live in or near any of the following places, uh, then do come along or just... travel to these places and then come along I'm going to be in Leicester Maidenhead Crawley Hull Liverpool Manchester and Oxford in February in March I shall be in Dublin at the Nottingham Glee uh, and then we take a bit of a break I'm back at the end of April in Reading Corsham the Secret Welsh Festival at the beginning of May and then further on in May I'm in Bristol Bath Northampton Warwick well it's Warwick Arts Centre which is basically Coventry as you all know Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury depending if you're medieval Swindon Farnham Aldershot, Sheffield, York, Newcastle, Leeds, Southampton, which is unaccountably selling well, despite being at the beginning of June, and uh, I've never been there before, so that's exciting. Cambridge, what a joy we had there last time. Uh, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Birmingham, Brighton, Tring... And Cardiff. So, if you would like to come along to any of those places, please do. All of the details are available at comedianscomedian.com. Click on the button that says live stuff, uh, and you can uh, get funneled into the the information about the tour. And um, the actual page you end up on is comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. So, if you want to save a bit of time, then just go straight there. Um, but if you would like to explore the back catalogue, make use of our search facility. That um, we, not not me, but whoever was producing the show at the time, and whoever's logged the individual episodes, uh, has made enormous effort to categorise, tag uh, all of the episodes. If you'd like to find people who refer to Stuart Lee, people who refer, you know, absurdist comics, prop comics, uh, that's the way to do it. You can find out um, from the website the particular thing that you're into. There are links there to some of the video content that we've got from, uh, from back in the early days of Comedians Comedian. As I mentioned, over five Thousand people in the in the Facebook uh, Comedians Comedian Podcast group uh, so you can catch a link to that and catch a link, who does he think he is um, you, can, uh, you can do all of those things, so do check out the website, it's increasingly sexy and uh, I was very pleased having recently rejudged certain elements of it uh, I was particularly pleased to uh, notice that I did I remembered to turn the analytics on And and for the first time, I looked at the results and went, oh, blow me tight. Lots of people are actually checking this out. So I hope you will join them if you would like to... I've been distracted there because I'm looking at it on my phone now and uh, the part of the blurb at the top, which you'll recognise when you get there, um, it's cut off the top just on the the screen on my phone at the moment because I've scrolled halfway down it. So at the top, white text on black, so annoying, which reminds me of an early review that I got uh, when I was part of a sketch outfit kiosk of champions with Mr. Richard Sandling and uh, uh, in the, what was it? So, uh, oh, unlikably cocky. I was given the, I was given the credit, the review, uh, the, the piece of criticism, unlikably cocky. And that wasn't even the full quote. The full quote was, so unlikably cocky. How, how pleased to, how lovely to be reminded of that. So that's all the stuff you need to know. If you would like to support the show, then please feel free. Uh, there's donate buttons aplenty at comediansmedian.com, And you can uh, support it with a one-off donation, a recurring payment, or whatever you think is appropriate if this show is making a difference to... To your professional practice, your love of comedy, your enthusiasm for creativity, or your mental health. And you'd uh, like to support the show. You are the only people that do. There is no official sponsor of this show besides the people that listen to it. So if you're one of them, then do support me with a, a, a financial... Do- I was going to say cash. You can do that in person if you like. Press it into my hand and say something cool. And people still very occasionally do that. I must say it's very nice. Um, but. Uh, if you would like to support the show, then you can do so financially, or if you can't afford to financially, you can always tell a friend, mention it, review it on, uh, on wherever you get your podcast from, iTunes, particularly non-UK iTunes, that's quite exciting, or if you're on any Android thing, CastBox, Podcast Addict, anything like that, if you can chuck a comment on it, it all helps the show remain visible, which uh, ultimately means more people listen to it, which can only be a good thing Um, a quick shout out to the dollop Uh, they've recently uh, celebrated their 300th episode if you're not listening to that uh, you should be American comedians Dave Anthony and Gary Reynolds um, they uh, take an episode uh, of some part of American history and uh, Gareth doesn't know about it and Dave reads it and then they riff on it and it is so much greater than that suggests it's absolutely brilliant I've been absolutely uh, mainlining it recently and uh, their 300th episode is all about the history History of Mr. Donald J. Trump. So, check that out. So, thank you for listening. Thanks once again to Brian for his time. Uh, thanks to Michael O'Brien for helping set that up. And uh, also, thanks to Daryl for his production and editing skills and all of the ComCom loggers and all the people who help behind the scenes and uh, in numerous different ways. That's everything. If you ordered a T-shirt, you'll get your T-shirt. I promise you the whole point was they're being printed now and I'm sending them on the on the uh, the first of December. That's the whole plan. That's how it's going to work. Don't panic. I haven't forgotten you. Bye for now